Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, October fourth episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I'm your host, Imogen Arate. You can find us at poetsandmuses.com, as well as on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to the Poets and Muses website and SoundCloud page, you can listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. With us today is Zoe Johnson. With whom I will be discussing their poem "Genderfuck" and my poem "The Slow Ascent." Before we do that, however, I am going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of October fifth. On Monday, October fifth, from seven p.m. UK time, La Tendre Revista will be hosting "In Between Cultures: Writing from a Distance" with our past poet guests Carolina Veras. Leo Boyks and Gael Le Cornec. You can find out more information by visiting London Spanish Book Fair on Instagram. Again, that's at London Spanish Book Fair on Instagram. From 6:30 p.m. Arizona time, Changing Hands Bookstore will be hosting their virtual poetry event with our past poet guests Felicia Zamora. And Douglas Manuel and Jason Schneiderman. You can find out more information and register at changinghands.com/event. Again, that's changinghands.com/event. From 8 p.m. Central Time, Frizzy Productions will be hosting his Poets Playground Open Mic on Instagram Live at poets underscore playground underscore. Again, that's at poets underscore playground underscore. On Tuesday, October sixth, from three to five p.m. Eastern Time, Urban Word NYC will be hosting their first draft open mic for those between the ages of thirteen and twenty-three. It's a virtual writing workshop and open mic series facilitated by Roya Marsh, and you can find out more information and register at urbanwordnyc.org. For slash first draft. Again, that's urbanwordnyc.org. For slash first draft. From 5 to 5:30 p.m. Arizona time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting their Speak Poets on Instagram Live at Arizona Masters of Poetry. Again, that's at Arizona Masters of Poetry. On Wednesday, October seventh, from 8:30 p.m. Beirut time. Sidewalk Beirut will be hosting their online open mic, and you can find out more information by going to sidewalk underscore Beirut. Again, that's sidewalk underscore Beirut on Instagram to get the information. From three to four p.m. Eastern Time, Nuijinan TV will be hosting their Nuijinan Scott Talent, which showcases indigenous youths. Between 13 and 25 years old, you can find out more information and register at Nuijinan TV. That's N W E J I N A N TV. Again, that's at N W E J I N A N TV. From 7 to 8:30 p.m. Eastern Time, Books Are Magic will be hosting the Alice James Books Fall Showcase with Kazim Ali, Sumita Chakraborty. 
Taylor Johnson, and Andres Serpa. You can find out more information and register at facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 620-584-995-485-234. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash events forward slash 620-584-995-485-234. From 8 p.m. Eastern Time, a poet named Superman will be hosting his release therapy open mic via Instagram Live at a poet named Superman. Again, that's at a poet named Superman. On Thursday, October 8th, from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the Tiny Cupper will be hosting their virtual open mic. You can find out more information at thetinycupper.com forward slash events. Again, that's thetinycupper.com forward slash events. From 7 to 8 p.m. Arizona time, Phonetic Spit will be hosting their weekly open mic via Instagram at Phonetic Spit. That's P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. Again, that's at P-H-O-N-E-T-I-C-S-P-I-T. On Friday, October 9th, from 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Marquise 10,000 Burton will be hosting his live poetry freestyling via Instagram Live at 10,000 Poetry. Again, that's at 10,000 Poetry, with 10,000 spelled out. On Saturday, October 10th, from 5 to 5.30 p.m. Arizona Time, Arizona Masters of Poetry will be hosting their Speak Poet Saturday at Arizona Masters of Poetry. From 6 to 7 p.m. Arizona time, the Virginia G. Piper Writing Center will be hosting their Piper Poetry Month Anthology Launch Party. You can find out more information by visiting piper.asu.edu forward slash poetry hyphen month hyphen release. Again, that's piper.asu.edu forward slash poetry hyphen month hyphen release. From 6 to 8.30 p.m. Arizona time, Palabras Bilingual Bookstore will be hosting their Electric Voices Indigenous Artists Showcase with our past poet guests Amber McCrary and Kaylin Yazi, Tate Walker, Manny Loli, and Saria Taylor. You can find out more information by visiting palabrasbookstore.com forward slash events. Again, that's palabrasbookstore.com forward slash events. On Sunday, October 11th, from 9 to 11 p.m. Morocco time, Morocco Poets will be hosting its open mic via Instagram Live at Moroccan Poets. Again, that's at Moroccan Poets. And now let us turn to our poet guest of the week, Zoe Johnson. Hi, Zoe. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about stuff. Me too. Me too. So you brought with you your poem, Genderfuck. Before we get into that, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. My name is Zoe. I use they, them, their pronouns. I'm a queer, non-binary writer, 
poet. I do a bunch of different genres, fiction, poetry, nonfiction. Um, I'm indigenous. I'm a member of the Sault Ste. Marie tribe of Chippewa. Mm. And I uh, just finished my MFA at the Institute of American Indian Arts. Congratulations. Um, in their creative writing programs. Yeah. That's awesome. How do you feel? I mean, this is a weird time to be graduating. <laughs> it is. It was weird because I didn't get to go to graduation with everyone, mm-hmm. see everyone. and But it was a good choice, I think, to not do that, especially because of how hard uh, COVID's hit Indian country. So it's like, right, right. I'd rather see all my classmates on Skype than, you know, put them in any sort of danger. Yeah. Um, I think they canceled it, right? Yeah, they moved it to like a an online thing now that they're doing where they're <laughs> having commencement like video wise and then they're showing pictures of people. Mm. <laughs> they like sent us our uh, our robes and caps in the mail, which was strange. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, I had to take my graduation pictures like out in my front yard. <laughs> little quarantine photo shoot. <laughs> right, right. Well at least it's personalized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> But it's cool that, you know, at least they're doing something rather than just Mm -hmm. not doing anything. So one of the things I I really think has been amazing, an an amazing outcome of this is that there are so many events now, online poetry-related events, including the Thunderbird Reading Series. So I was really thankful for that because, you know, personally, I don't think I would have been able to make it out there to see it, so... Yeah, I was blown away by my classmates who, um, because usually we would give our, read our theses at graduation around that time um, out in Santa Fe where the college is. So to kind of supplement that, uh, a bunch of my fellow graduates, the 2020 class, put together this amazing series just on their own. They decided to put it together and it turned out really amazing. And I was really excited to be part of it and to hear my you know, my friends read because mm-hmm. I hadn't gotten to in a while. So. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah, it was it was such a terrific series of events and I felt like really lucky to have uh, been an audience member to that. So I appreciate that. Back to you, though. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into poetry? Yeah, I don't remember specifically I feel like I've always been kind of writing and telling stories Uh, my mom is a publisher so Mm. it's kind of been like books and storytelling is really important growing Mm. up and um, my dad would always uh, try to get me and my sister to sleep by telling us stories Mm -hmm. like just you know oral tradition kind of things and Mm -hmm. so uh the kind of um, liter- literature in general was, like, really valued mm-hmm. growing up. And so uh, whenever I think, you know, early adolescence, when I started having capital F feelings, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, angst about anything, I kind of just turned to poetry generally. Mm-hmm. Um, fiction came later. But, uh, yeah, I just – that was kind of how I – tried to make sense of how I was because I felt different in a lot of different ways Mm -hmm. from 
because I grew up in a really small rural town, very uh, white, poor, Christian majority. So I felt kind of different from people from a young age. So mm-hmm. I think I kind of, you know, tried to express it in a very, you know, teenage angst like right. <laughs> ways. So, uh, but poetry and it just never left. I mm-hmm. had the bug for it for a, until now, and I can't see myself ever stopping. Right, right. Poetry just seems to be the go-to when, um, again, this feelings, as you said, this emotional, you know, going through different emotions, especially strong ones, would tend to pull me back into poetry. Yeah. She was the interim director at II. Um, she's a really great Muscogee Creek poet, uh, Jennifer Forrester. Mm-hmm. And she said something about poetry once that I just never can get out of my head, which is, Poetry is the language we use to point to the thing that can't be pointed to. Mm. I just, oh, it just stuck with me because that's so, like, that's the thing. Right. Yeah, it, like, points to the thing you can't point to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think just as a special form, it's, it's very difficult to define what poetry <laughs> is, right, because... It spans a lot of different kinds of ways of writing, uh, writing it. And I think if we have to, it would it would be like for me, it's like a vignette. It's um, it doesn't have to tell an entire story, although it could. Uh, it could have a story arc, especially epics. Um, but it it can just dip in and out of a situation uh, and yeah. give you a snapshot of it. So and I think. That's definitely yeah. one of the major kind of defining points of poetry. Um, right. And so, yeah. Yeah. And but I, I love how un, untethered it it can be mm-hmm. to time and continuity and um, like realism. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it doesn't have to be anchored to any of those things, which is you know the magic of it. Right. Right. So is IAIA your first, um, I guess, prolonged gathering with Indigenous peoples from different nations? Um, Yeah, definitely. I didn't really spend a lot of time with Native folks that weren't also Anishinaabe or the Three Fires Confederacy as well. It's a group of three peoples that are Indigenous to the Great Lakes region, the Odawa, Mm -hmm. the Ojibwe, or Chippewa, depending on... Um, where you are, but um, in the Potawatomi. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've mostly only spent time growing up with other Shabe people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've not really gotten a chance to spend a lot of time personally with other folks from all over Turtle Island. And so it was just amazing to be able to, you know, it's always great when you get together with other writers because everyone has that kind of excitement to talk about and generate things. But um, especially being from all over and coming from such rich indigenous traditions and bringing their own storytelling traditions and styles. And yeah, it was just really cool to like learn about those things from classmates and you talk about that kind of thing with them. Right, right. 
Do you feel like having having had that experience, and obviously um, I'm sure there were other students who uh, lived on the res um, uh. and came from the res, and so I was wondering, how do you feel in terms of your own experience in in, uh, in comparison to theirs? Mm. I I did, to be honest, have a lot of imposter syndrome before I went to II. Mm. Um, in terms of, you know, I had this, you know, I don't, what if I'm not Indian enough, which mm -hmm. is, you know, what does that even mean, you know, yeah, yeah. but, uh, yeah, because I am a white passing, light skin native, uh, I was kind of, I didn't learn much about our culture growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, I started reconnecting to language and culture when I was in my late teens. I was worried that I would be almost like intruding on a space that was for like real natives, quote unquote, but like mm -hmm. that was completely assuaged when I got there. There's just, you know, the whole spectrum of folks, right. you know, from all over and from different uh, backgrounds, people from the city, blonde haired natives, people <laughs> who don't speak their language, people who spoke their native language, their indigenous language as their first tongue you know mm -hmm. the whole this whole thing uh, there are people who want to write about what it's like to live on the res and then there's people who are like i don't want to write about being an indian at all mm -hmm. which is like so freeing i think for so many people right. um and that was something that when i got there I was like oh i don't have to fit into a box of mm -hmm. like what is like a native writer right which is so freeing because so many people, I think, when they're like, oh, you're an indigenous writer, they have an idea in their head of what your writing looks like. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, of like, oh, you're just going to write about nature and spirits and traditions. And it's like, yeah, we can do that stuff, but like, it doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. right. And so it's like, sometimes I have to do that myself. Like, even the poem... Uh, today that we're going to talk about doesn't have anything explicitly native about it, mm -hmm. but you know what? What is indigenous writing or indigenous art if not art or writing made by an indigenous person? You know, right, right. It must be frustrating and also feel very much like a burden sometimes to feel like you have to write in that tradition as if that's your only space that that people at least outside will let you occupy um, right you know it's like yeah. being forced to live on like a literary reservation or something right yeah it's like well if you if you are writing outside of this like you shouldn't feel the right to claim like oh you're an indigenous writer because like what makes your stuff indigenous then it's like well because it's i wrote it right. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you don't you can't box us in anymore like that's not how how it works like we're gonna make it so that that's not how it works right <laughs> so since you started writing so young and, and you don't quite remember exactly when so i don't i, I imagine you also don't remember what you had talked about at that young age Mostly it was about kind of the shared adolescent experience of not feeling like people understand you or not feeling like you fit with other people. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of my early poetry also was about the confusion of like 
romantic interests too. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, uh, so I have a bad habit of quoting my own work because I'm like, well, how do I put this into words? And then once I do, I'm like, well, I already did it. Why would I not use those <laughs> words? But, um, so I, I wrote an essay once where I was talking about growing up as a queer person. Um, Mm. And it was that, uh, like, I get dark and there's an overplayed pop song playing in the background the first time I kiss a boy. Mm -hmm. And all I can think is, is that it? (laughs) And then I don't remember the first time I kissed a girl. Mm. But I do remember the first love poem I wrote about a girl, and I wonder what that says about the way I fall in love. Mm. And that was because I I remember writing a lot of poetry about not understanding my feelings about (laughs) girls Mm. and what that meant. (laughs) mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) It's interesting, right, because I think I think whether you're straight or queer, the the fact is falling in love with somebody else is always, there is always an element of mystery to it. Because even if you share all the interests, the fact is, this is another person. Yeah. So there's always an element of unknown and not knowing whether you can bridge that. Right. So I think now maybe it will be a good time for you to read your poem for us, and then we can talk about it. Yeah, sure. So, this is my poem, Genderfuck. I don't know. When I talk about my gender, I always end up leaning sideways. My vertebrae begin to bend into the shape of the word, sorta. See, I've been trying to solve the equation of internal chickness and duditude for years, but when I try plotting the data points, the graphs end up in the shape of the word sorta. When I talk about my gender, I start breathing out things like boy adjacent and a few miles outside of. I try giving directions to the intersection where my gender was last seen. When I talk about my gender, words teeter and trip, Face plant hard against the backs of my teeth like they've never worn high heels before. Words scuffle out in shy, halting fits like they aren't quite used to the way wearing a packer changes their gait and stride. When I talk about my gender, there are things like bow ties and flower crowns and baseball tees and talking about a dick I don't have but don't think I really need to have but sometimes feel like I want to have. I don't know, give me some lace and leg hair. When I talk about my gender, I start spitting up phrases like fey prince and flower boy, maybe lesbian space pirate, half-baked non-binary fever dream. Who really knows? I think I want to be some kind of genderqueer Oscar Wilde, with all the hair ribbons and buttonhole flowers, with the quick wit and unabashed disdain for heterosexuals. When I talk about my gender, it's funny because no matter who I date or fuck, it's gay as hell, like, hey cutie, tell me your safe words, I want to be your every unholy cross-dressing Rocky Horror Picture Show genderfuck fantasy of handcuffs and a strap-on babe, I want to call you sweetheart and kiss you on the cheek, want to meet your parents wearing a respectable button-down shirt, when I talk about my gender, I make it rain with documents asking me to check male or female, 
If you'll direct your attention to subsection C, you'll see that the applicant has written beside the boxes in alternating Sharpie and gel pen, horrifically inconsistent. I am the queen of the in-betweens, the prince of ecstatic tangles of labels. Call me your patron saint of book gutter genders. Long live the queer. Hand me a sword, mon chéri. I'm about to knight each and every unshaven face wearing lipstick tonight. Your boy is just out here, hula hooping in every Venn diagram you can put in front of me. <laughs> Thank you. I did not realize when I read that that it was such a funny poem. <laughs> <laughs> so, so reading, just hearing it, really makes a difference. Yeah, I think so. I think because of this poem, it definitely was kind of in the spirit of slam or spoken word. Mm -hmm. So uh, in my head, when it was like the rhythms of it were coming to me, I definitely was in that space. <laughs> of mm -hmm. Like, yeah. <laughs> have you have you performed it? I have performed it. I think just once recently, actually, at on um, you know one of those virtual poetry events. <laughs> hmm. Cool. So yeah. Cool. And when did you when did you write this? Uh, twenty eighteen, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I wrote it like end of twenty eighteen, and then I set it aside for a bit, then came back to it and edited it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's published with Plentitude Magazine, which is a um, Canadian journal that's uh, specifically for um, it publishes queer authors, okay. which is cool. So I, I was like, well, this poem might be a little aggressive for <laughs> uh, non-queer specific journals sometimes. So <laughs> Yeah, I, I still have a difficult time of uh, finding exactly what journal is good for what kind of writing because... Mm. Uh, you know, when you when you write a lot, you don't necessarily always speak. You know, just like you don't always write about nature just because you're an mm. indigenous poet. And the same with your gender uh, mm. uh -huh. identity. You don't always write from that. So right. it's it's interesting uh -huh. when uh, so you're like oh, and so I have to go here for that and that. So <laughs> you feel like sometimes um, I don't know if you feel this. The, almost like a kind of a split personality it's like you're being split mm. so yeah definitely a lot I kind of sometimes I'll it, it really depends on um like the situation or like the the other people or what kind of event if I'm reading at it like if it's a indigenous specific thing I'm like oh well I definitely need to make sure I bring some queerness to it mm -hmm. or if it's a queer specific event I'm like oh there's probably not going to be any other indigenous folks so I should include something like that mm. like I definitely feel like I'm trying to I always feel like I have to like pick things to represent or <laughs> it's mm. like a balancing act right. sometimes right. how did you come to write this poem is it mm. yeah I think some of it was came out of conversations with friends who are also trans and non-binary mm -hmm. some people are like come on gay people don't just sit around and talk about how gay they are all the time as like actually 
Uh, we do kind of just sit around and talk about gender all the time sometimes, especially when there are drinks involved, you know. Mm-hmm. You get a few drinks and you're like, what even is gender? So, like, so this came out of some of those conversations. And then also revisiting a poet, uh, Ali Shem- Sheminsky. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce their last name. I will okay. uh, have the their name written out <laughs> for you. Thank uh, you. But they wrote their... Uh, a few of their spoken pieces are featured on Button Poetry, mm-hmm. um, and especially their poem Boobs, which is about having chest dysphoria, mm. really has this kind of like feel to it of kind of like this exasperated feel about gender feelings. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of like thinking about like confusion about what even is my gender identity and kind of like well let me just revel in that and instead of being like i i have no idea like how i define myself or what kind of you know i i kind of wanted to turn that into like a celebration of like yeah it is all over the place and all there are like these scattered images and objects that have these weird societal gender things with them (laughs) and like i'm just gonna like toss them in the air Mm. and get this like rain of like all these weird gendered and like colorful ideas because mm-hmm. like that's what gender is mm-hmm. <laughs> it's confusing and all over the place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah because it's not it's not binary as they say yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so you don't have to and also it, it a lot of it depends on hormones right and when you uh-huh. are in that finding yourself phase of adolescence and teenage years and young adulthood, your uh-huh. your your hormones are all over the place. So so it's kind of it makes sense that especially now that you know this option uh, at least being open um, uh-huh. with this option is more available to people. It's uh-huh. vocabulary that's known rather than hidden so that nobody even knows what to call it. So, Right. Um, yeah, and I, I feel like I do spend a lot of my time explaining or, like, being the ambassador to people. Mm-hmm. Um, if I want people to use my pronouns, sometimes I have to be like, okay, here, let me get out my gender 101 presentation and <laughs> like, explain to you. I think also this poem was kind of not a rejection but like a balancing kind of like here I get to be kind of confused and aggressive and like ridiculously self-indulgent instead of Mm. being diplomatic and clear in my (laughs) explanations of gender Mm. like I get to like roll around in the messiness of it Mm -hmm. and like weirdness of it and I wanted to talk about because uh, when we talk about like sexual orientation that also is determined, you know, by what your gender is, like, and how you are in in relation to the people you're attracted to. Mm -hmm. So to me, gender is really important to attraction and sex and relationships. And so like, I got to talk about the the non PG parts of it that some Mm -hmm. people are weird about and, you know, and talk about like, you know, no matter who I date or fuck, it's gay as hell. Like, I don't, if you're a cis guy or you're also, like, a non-binary person, sorry, we're 
queer when we date or if we make out it's a gay thing (laughs) (laughs) like kind of yeah you you do as you said sprinkle in these images and also actual objects that uh, people associate with certain gender like I, I love that give me some lace and leg hair which obviously does not have to be either, but um, obviously it's it's used to sort of identify these as if polar opposites. Mm-hmm. By the way, what what is a packer? So a packer is it can be as simple as like a bunch of socks rolled up, or they make silicone ones, and it's used for people who are assigned female at birth. So they mm-hmm. put it in their boxers or underwear to give the appearance of having a bulge. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> That's basically what it is. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I thought maybe that was about, I don't know the lingo, so I don't. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> when did you decide to make this a visual poem? I think when I came back to it after I put it aside for a bit. Okay. Because I was like, this is kind of a jumble right now, but I wanted to it to be more a more <laughs> intentional jumble, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because it did come from that headspace of spoken word, mm-hmm. I wanted to put it on the page a little bit more showing how it sounds or even feels in my head, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I wanted it to stretch itself out or move across the page or group things together or isolate certain lines or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I haven't done that much with visual poems, so this is like just adding a sprinkling of it. <laughs> right, right. Thank you for the reference to Rocky Horror. <laughs> I, I just don't... The, the OG, I think, of <laughs> kind of like confirming cishet people's fears kind of thing of like, <laughs> well, you, you think we're all sex deviants that are going to corrupt you, like, and you're like perfect straight couple like okay well let's make a whole movie about how like you know we are those people like (laughs) (laughs) so I was like okay that's mm -hmm. (laughs) I love the soundtrack I just Mm -hmm. I I always try to find it in karaoke bars and it's seldom (laughs) available it's such a good soundtrack it is but um (laughs) (laughs) I noticed that um, after a while, like especially during the second half of the poem, uh, you started using the word your safe words. You started to talk to someone. Um, And I was wondering if that is a specific person. I don't think, I think because I moved into talking about relationships, Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be a very direct you addressing um, of like either the reader or just you know because there is this thing of respectability when it comes to queerness of like you know respectability politics of like oh no I'm one of the the good decent trans people or no I'm just like you I want to have a monogamous vanilla relationship with a white picket fence it's just we're both dudes but like (laughs) that's not that's not most people I know and Mm -hmm. so it's kind of the wanting to be a little in your face about it of like like I put the gentleness and like respectable things after the more aggressively explicit you know kinky gay sex stuff because I wanted to kind of like get in people's face about it of like 
hey cutie tell me your safe words like let's jump into this like I'm gonna hit you with everything I've got and it's gay as hell regardless of who you are mm-hmm. like are you do you want to come over to our side you know kind of like <laughs> <laughs> in these lines you show the spectrum because it doesn't have to be either or the other you know even within one's lifetime you can move from one to the other right like the next line is of the I want to call you sweetheart and kiss you on the cheek like the most chaste kind of affection (laughs) like and this you know kind of running the spectrum of PG to like explicit kinky and vanilla male and female like I wanted to just throw everything Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know kitchen sink approach to gender (laughs) um (laughs) Right, right, yeah. In some ways, it definitely has a, you know, like the the career one hundred and one that you were talking about. Yeah, it's like you made a collage of that presentation. (laughs) That's such a great way to think about a collage of it. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Is it? Yeah, just cutting out pictures from magazines of found things. Yeah, it's like taking these things from like oh, this is, like, girl magazine and boy magazine, and I'm just going to, like, glue them all together in this, like, mishmash. (laughs) Yeah, I love that image. (laughs) Again, I I love the potpourri aspect of it. Mm. And all of these imageries that are associated with queerness that are, um, or people associate with queerness. Um... You know, I don't, I don't know how, <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't, obviously you cannot say, oh, okay, somebody's queer if, you know, they're, right, <laughs> you know, if they're blah, right. blah, blah, A, B, and C. And they're, yeah, they're like, um, things that like, culturally and like, subculturally, um, you know, I was, <laughs> I was actually talking to my friend the other day about how we were frustrated with art school students for messing up our gaydar because <laughs> all this like straight art students have like you know the side shave head and the like flannels and like carhartt jackets and i'm like okay but you're not gay but you are like wearing all the trappings of what i <laughs> but no we were just we were joking about that that <laughs> students are messing up our gaydar <laughs> Oh, you should listen to uh, my chat with Jen Collin, who is uh, um, bi, and she was, we kind of went into the the fashion aspect of it as well. Because, again, gator is another thing that's sort of like, some people have told me that they know people who swear by it, and then they're like, some people are just said, this is complete hogwash, because... You know, you just don't know until... Right. Because some people, even themselves, they don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think it's one of those things of, like, if you're queer, you can, like, either joke about it or be, like, because you have that experience, like, you know, sometimes, like, you have those cues that you pick up on because you yourself experience them. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> like, some people, I will get a vibe, but... It's mostly just, like, who knows? Especially now, you know? There's all those things that keep 
coming out of like more and more young folks or identifying as some shade of queer or some shade of gender non-conforming or non-binary mm-hmm. which is great it's yeah. just I don't think there's more people that are it I just think that more people are given access to it like you know there have been trans people for as long as there have been people mm-hmm. and gender in society and mm-hmm. so like you know it's just more people have access to it and like the space to explore it right right and I, I do well, because I think in the uh, other animal species world, it's like 25% or something. And, yep. and we're completely underrepresenting as a species. So, I, right. You know, and not, I mean, you know, humans, we have, we make everything so complicated. So, why wouldn't gender also be complicated for us as well? <laughs> you know, why is that the one thing that we are like, oh no, it's just one way or the other? Right. You know. Right. <laughs> Yeah, we tend to both overthink and underthink things. Like things that require more nuanced thinking, we don't bother. Things that don't, like, oh my god. Um, yeah. <laughs> so since you sent me, you sent me a few poems, and uh, one. This is one of a couple that's about identity and just of how. Identity is not anything that's neat. You can't really just fit into one or the other box, as you say. You know, you make it rain with paperwork. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, it's that for people who are, you know, even sh- straight or gender conforming as well. Um, yeah. So, so I sent you my poem. It's called A Slow Ascent which again is about sort of fitting in or trying to fit in or not fitting in. So I'm going to read that. Victory is making a slow way to you, the card coyly revealed, watching me fidget uncomfortably like a five-year-old who has just been told he can have a piece of candy, yay, in 20 minutes, an eternity. So I envisioned a trip through the desert a calm meander on a one-hump camel, rest stops at unexpected many oases, counting stars by the billions, while nestling a turban head by my kneeling dromedary friend, for the sake of the journey, paying no mind to destination. Meanwhile, my pockets empty, turn to tatters before dust, joining the sand and chilling at night, and I like to feel a bed less grainy experience some companionship of the non-hoofed variety, all bring me to civil society that prefers gold to my ingenuity, and I, with no pockets only, hold lightning in thoughts, adventures in wrinkles, and air on lips thirsting for quenching of curiosity, must pass through with only slight pauses, seeking the next sandy seas, friendly toward this itinerant. Just the image scape you made in this poem was what really drew me to it. Thank you. Like, it's so vivid, like, the just the way it zooms in on such small individual motions, like, you know, fidgeting mm-hmm. like a little kid and the turning pockets into dust, like these little things, it 
How did you like come to this imagery for this poem? I pulled a tarot card. <laughs> that is such an interesting and cool way to come up with it. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. I think what I pulled was like the six of wands or something. I have it on my Instagram. I actually, I was like, hey, this inspired me to write a poem. <laughs> and it was upside down. And as far as I know, if it's an upside down card, it means that it will still happen, but it will take longer. So I'm, I'm not, I'm working on patience, but <laughs> it's not, I'm not the most patient person, especially when I've gone through what I've gone through. I'm just like, okay, when is it going to be over? When is it going to be over? Right. So that's how the sort of the first stanza sort of came, talking about that impatience. And then it just kind of, my mind just took off. And that's how I usually write my poems is like a line will happen. And I just write from there and see where it takes mm -hmm. me. So I love when that happens, like your subconscious is doing the heavy lifting for you and like making all these great connections. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think it also has a bit of that spoken word quality to it. Um, and I don't, because I never studied poetry. Uh, I did literature, but not poetry specifically. I am influenced by whatever I come across. And because I've been going to a lot of open mics, um, it does come into my writing. Uh, and I do tend to write more rhythmically than rhyming. Right. So. Yeah. Some of the things that I really like about like consuming a lot of younger or untrained quote-unquote poets is like you don't fall into the trappings sometimes, you know, of, of like, oh, this is what capital P poetry is supposed to look like. Right. Like, you can do whatever you want with it, which yeah. is, I, I think, like, the shape of the poem to me was really, like, it was so interesting to feel it progress, but then also see it kind of, like, stretch itself out as it went. Like, you could feel the, like, that like walking through sand feeling of like mm -hmm. one like heavy steps as it goes like the last because the last stanza is so much longer and you could even when you were reading it you could feel each line like took a minute to get to the next one mm -hmm. which is why it was like I because I read it a few times through and like I, I had that feeling reading the last um, stanza of like this walking up like a sand dune or what and then like it came back to the title and I just love when poems kind of like loop back on themselves and like mm -hmm. tie lines to each other like that it, yeah it has such a like visceral feeling even li like listening to you read it definitely drew that out oh thank you yeah <laughs> Just like just like yours, it's it's a different feeling. Like because when the poet's reading it, you get a sense of how they want it to be read, how they want the poem to be experienced. Uh, and whereas where you're reading it, it's all you. Right. So, um, yeah, like there have definitely been times where I've read a poem 
in class on paper and then have listened to like a recording or a video of the author reading it mm-hmm. and like I like I hadn't re- I, you know oh this poem's like okay and then I would hear it spoken out loud and been like oh, okay now I understand like, <laughs> why people love this right it's like oh right. yeah the, the performance aspect is uh, really can add a lot to it so I really admire the uh, spoken word people poets who can. Like, especially just the memory, memorization and every, everything. Um, so one thing I was wondering, because I know some poets are like are trying to achieve different things with imagery and rhythm and sound. Like some people just use words for their like sonic value and like what kind of, you know, syllable sounds they have. Mm-hmm. Or some are just trying to like conjure a, a sensation Mm-hmm. But some people are also using it in the more straightforward way of trying to, like, use metaphor or whatever, mm-hmm. or symbology. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I was wondering with this poem, because it does have such strong images. Mm-hmm. Were you going for a specific angle of metaphor or just trying to conjure a sensation in the reader? I tend towards uh, imagery. I, uh, and the other thing I also try to do is not repeat words. Um, so I have I have the thesaurus. Dot com is my friend. Yeah. Basically. So I'm always trying to find a new way of saying the same thing. Yeah. And, and so I also tend to want to make sure that my poetry makes sense. If I use words for their sonic value, they also have to have a definitional value, even if it's, let's say, an, an archaic word or, or something uh-huh. like that. Um, but it still has to touch on the meaning or or a meaning that's not as associated with the word. I, I might use a word that has a tends to have a negative connotation in a positive way. Um, right, so. but it's definitely more meaning forward rather than like it can work on multiple levels but Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah cool yeah I wonder for for you as well because you also use not necessarily synonyms but you Mm -hmm. touch on the binary right Uh, you Mm -hmm. know when you were in your poem you know this chickness dutitude I mean you, you kind of make new words but they're still word adjacent kind of like right boy adjacent (laughs) right (laughs) yeah I definitely like bending words a lot when I can because like you know playing with what they they can do like it's it's fun to verb nouns or noun verbs and things like that because Mm -hmm. it like makes you kind of like hear it in like a way like a tilt-headed way like it makes you look at it sideways Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is always like a good thing for poetry because it makes you like oh sit up and pay attention right right yeah a lot of poetry is that isn't it especially now because um Mm. or as we get closer into like the poet contemporary poetry because Mm. it's I, i feel like also it's at some point, it almost feels like one-upmanship. Not necessarily your <laughs> poem, but 
you know, like the trying to become a, a known poet. What do you need right. to do now in order to become that? Um, right. So again, this fighting for attention in a world that has so much going on. Right. Um, so Yeah, it's like so frustrating when that kind of thing happens because I don't know, like I've always thought of writing as a very slow and roundabout attempt at conversation. Mm. Like I always think people like maybe not intentionally or knowingly, but I do think everything responds to other things. Mm -hmm. And that's like really clear sometimes when people write, you know, a poem after so-and-so or in response to so-and-so. But Mm. like, I definitely think poetry and fiction are really interesting, strange, like dreamlike conversations that like span centuries. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I do think that people, even when they twist it into competition and of course there's healthy competition, but like the, you know, this kind of like fighting to be like throwing people under buses or stealing people's work in the most toxic senses. But even that is a form of conversation uh, maybe more like an argument but <laughs> you know everyone everyone's trying to say something but you never just say something into a vacuum it's all it's always in response to something whether mm-hmm. that is someone else's words or in response to something you are seeing visually that's talking to you or mm-hmm. you know something everything around us is talking to us right. and even like hundreds of years ago authors are talking to us mm-hmm. yeah 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 and and it's it's interesting that we continue to have these conversations with authors from some um, generations back um, uh. who we might or might not be distancing ourselves from intentionally or not right um, right like it can be a conversation in terms of not an amiable one. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. there are a lot of poems that are like antagonistically in response to, which are some sometimes mo- the most fun, especially to see people perform because <laughs> they get you know so fired up and passionate. <laughs> but I yeah I definitely love the way that writing can be a form of time travel like that. Right. It it, it makes me think of Joy Harjo's poetry, who's our mm-hmm. current poet laureate. The first Native American poet laureate, woohoo! Um, but she does a lot of that in her poetry of talking about using her poems. Like I'm especially thinking of her poem about her mother who died, and that mm. in reality she didn't get to do the you know her traditional way of washing the body in her Muskogee Creek cultural mm. traditions, but she used a poem she wrote about it to go back and do that in memory and in poetry. Mm. So like she, she repaired that, like she used it to travel back in time in this poem Mm. and do what she didn't get to do. Mm. And like, she has a poem about seeing her ancestor riding on a horse down the highway, Mm. um, who was, you know, said that he could, he could jump through time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it was like these kinds of things of that's in a very literal sense in native ways of thinking about t- 
time as nonlinear, but, right. you know, even in the more Western sense of, like, metaphorical time travel, mm-hmm. I, did, I love the way that even I think the ways that people are bending language, like we were talking about, of, like, using words in an unexpected way or twisting negative words into positive connotations, mm-hmm. I think is a form of us casting language into the future mm. because we're kind of like casting out these new ways of using these words or new ideas or new responses right. and uh, you know into the future right. I just love thinking about nonlinear time <laughs> yeah yeah because I think it does exist uh, in in our experiences we just don't Think of it that way. I mean, memory is a nonlinear time, basically, because we can recall things from years ago. You know, maybe not as if we're there, but sometimes we emotionally can be there. Right. Um, As you said, the the idea of casting words into the future, casting language into the future, is that what you write today could be read in the future, uh, rediscovered, and like the verbling of nouns or nouning of verbs <laughs> that could become part of the lingua franca in the future right as well. and yeah all- like no one knows what like it's uh, breaking the rules of language until it becomes a style right and then it becomes a genre right know? right like thinking about like even like gertrude stein people are like what is this this is like just word vomit but it's like okay, but it's also now like a poetry style, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's exactly it. Because we don't just because we're not familiar with it, or somebody's doing something we're not used to, doesn't mean that it won't become the mainstream thing later right. on, either I in the genre or in just everyday life. There, right. Shakespeare created so many words and such um, right. that we use like even, today. Oh, sorry. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the, the rise of spoken word. It's like every kid in high school is trying, you know. Mm-hmm. That's like an organic way for them to start writing poetry, divorced right. from the kind of like antagonistic view of like, oh, stuffy old men from England writing <laughs> about things I don't care about. Because right. that's like how the... Yeah, it's like the kind of medium that is is really in the main, not mainstream, I guess, but like in poetry mainstream. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think also, again, because of the, the mainstreaming of something like YouTube, mm. uh, especially now that we have physical distancing, how you consume a performance is through this, you kind of have to be a part you kind of, right. so spoken word performance poetry can continue on and can still be yeah. happening uh, even if you know you're doing your own lighting and whatnot. <laughs> you know, <you're> <laughs> right. completely yeah. uh, DIYing the whole experience it's still possible so right. and that is what people are seeing and that's why it has become such a gateway poetry form for high school yeah. students I think because they yeah. are now used it's to accessible, it accessible yeah right. yeah exactly mm-hmm. 
going back to your poetry, you know, when you use Chaboy, again, that's something that, that you're taking from from uh-huh. spoken word or slang, and you're incorporating it into your own genre writing, which is a combination of the two. The, yeah. So you can, you can definitely tell that, and I, and I think it's really interesting for people to be able to be in both spaces at the same time and cross Definitely. yeah and not be like cornered into one or the other um, mm-hmm. speaking of non-conforming identities <laughs> you know? yeah something i really just noticed after i left undergrad and have been spending more time in indigenous spaces is just i think how much you know over generalizing but western culture loves to compartmentalize things a lot more mm-hmm. um even just the thinking about like academics you know di- dividing up departments and you know majors and when that's not at all the way that we learn or talk about things and mm-hmm. like everything affects everything else and right. genres and now the the rise of hybrid genre right. when thinking about what i can only talk from my own cultural and tribal experience but those kinds of like mixing of and fluidity of forms I guess was is kind of like was the more natural way of telling stories and uh, making art from language Mm. and so it's like oh it's this new form of hybrid and whereas (laughs) like from an indigenous perspective it's like oh no we're just (laughs) getting back to like the old ways of you know Margaret Newton, who is the special guest um, on the Thunderbird series mm-hmm. that uh, I read on, that most of her uh, poems are songs mm-hmm. because that those those were one and the same culturally. So mm-hmm. it's you know these interesting ways that we try to divide up things <laughs> into neat little labels. Right. Whereas, like, like we were saying, humans were messy and complicated, and a lot of times we don't fit <laughs> into things neatly. Right, right. And I, I think certain, you know, Western institutions, they are there, they carve up things, partly because also just as human beings, we don't have the mental capacity to, yeah. to comprehend or to try to comprehend everything at the same time. So we do need mm-hmm. to compartmentalize but the way that the division happened is not necessarily healthy for us to interact with each other, to have a good way of living with the rest of the world. But there are now more interdisciplinary studies yeah. as well. So hopefully, you know, that yeah. at least um, crossing of yeah. uh, different areas of studies will make it more... I don't know, made, made us better able yeah, like to see. Yeah, like more well-rounded thinkers and creators and things. Yeah, I'm of the firm belief that we need to combine ideologies and backgrounds of, to, you know, they're important and good things in both Western and Indigenous worldviews. And, you know, we're all in this boat together and the water is rising, frankly. Yeah. So, yeah. We, you know, we need to take the best, like, you know, we can't just throw one person overboard. 
We need to pool our resources, as it were. I'm talking in extended metaphors. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's pretty on brand, poetry and all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think people get it. People get it. Um, And also, I mean, not to be a defender, I'm not a defender, actually, of Western (laughs) education. But I think Western education, when it comes to ancient times, like Greek or Roman, or even like Victorian times or, you know, 19th century, especially wealthy, uh, the emphasis is the same thing as I think anywhere else is a well-roundedness. You study a little bit of everything. Um, Right. But I think the, the compartmentalization maybe is an outcropping of industrialization because then you have the, you know, assembly lines and everybody I does definitely think I agree with you. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. then, then we got, you know, into the idea of, yeah, like assembly lines, like you were saying, and supply chain. Yeah, like everything got so divvied up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in a way, again, some... Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not good, because it, it can be efficient, but sometimes efficiency, sometimes speed can cause us to not think about the long-term consequences, which are coming back to roost, as you said. Waters are rising. So, yeah. so I think, and that, that consumer culture that we have of just, you know, having to dig under our homes in, in order to have these minerals to feed our needs for new electronics, uh, which we're using to have this interview, ironically yeah. enough. <laughs> At the same time, it is actually causing a, a lot of havoc, um, both to human life and obviously to the rest of nature that we're part of. On that happy note. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and to talk about from this perspective both of us of not fitting in in one way or another and thanks for having me this was really exciting to talk about you know behind poems because a lot of times people are like no 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 don't like explain or talk about where things are coming from so it's cool to you know dig into that (laughs) yeah yeah I think you know I'm only asking one poem per poet, so there's plenty <laughs> of mystery left, I think. So, but before I let you go, I would love for you to tell us, A, if you have any virtual readings coming up, and B, um, like where can people follow you, find you? Yeah, uh, I don't think I have any virtual readings that I know of that mm-hmm. I'm doing coming up. Okay. I mostly hang out on Twitter at uh, Captain X I E X I E Captain. Mm-hmm. It's a Firefly reference. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can come follow me there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the newest thing I think coming out I have is um, the Polyglot is a Canadian magazine that publishes um, by and try and whatever lingual poetry. Oh, cool. um, and they're coming out with a edition of indigenous languages. So I have a few poems coming out in there that are in English and Anishinaabe Muin. So yeah, so that'll be coming out soon. So that's exciting. Yeah, that is very exciting. Uh, Do you know when? Because it got delayed because of COVID COVID, as everything did. (laughs) I'm not sure, but you can look on their website, which is just thepolyglotmagazine.com. So Uh and it'll have information on that. 
Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to checking that out. Thank you again for your time. I, I really, really appreciate this. Yeah. Chimi Gwetch. Thanks so much. Thank you. <laughs> you can follow us at poetsandmuses.com or on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. Now, in addition to poetsandmuses.com and our SoundCloud page, you can also listen to the Poets and Muses podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.